0: Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. My guest today is a former commercial fisherman who went through a journey of ecological redemption by turning into a regenerative ocean farmer. And he's also the co founder of a pioneering nonprofit called Greenwave. Uh, this is a global network of farmers, entrepreneurs, researchers, all focused on building community based climate solutions out at sea through collaboration and innovation. His name is Brent Smith. His story is truly fascinating and inspiring. I'm not even going to try to summarize it. I wouldn't do it justice, but that's okay, because he's done it brilliantly through his incredible book titled Eat Like a Fish, My Adventures as a Fisherman Turned Restorative Ocean Farmer. What's coming next is my conversation with Brent. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Here it goes. Brent, it is an unbelievable honor to have you here today. Welcome to Inside Seaweed.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really... uh fun. It's pretty exciting that there's a uh, seaweed specific uh, podcasts and even like looking behind the veil podcasts of seaweed. know, so it's, it's fun to be here. Seaweed nerds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, I, I'd like to start with uh, food. Like, you know, why not? Like all the best conversations start. Kelp fra diavolo. It's a recipe you talk about in your book, uh, like a fish, which uh, by the way, I loved. I would really uh, recommend. What is special for you about this recipe?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lots changed since um, I, wrote, I wrote the book and a lot of lots changed in the world too, right? Um, and this sort of, there was a trajectory that I went on, not me, but with, you know, folks we work with, with partners, with chefs, uh, on how do you make kelp specifically delicious because it's not, right? <laughs> like, and, and we have to be honest about that. But what's amazing is that we're at this culinary moment where chefs and all sorts of entrepreneurs and stuff just kind of specialize in making gross things delicious, right? <laughs> you know, they specialize in climate cuisine, right? Because we can't just eat what we want anymore, what, what tastes good. We need to eat what the planet will provide and what we can do in a sustainable regenerative way. And so we need the creativity of the chefs to really make it, uh, make it delicious or else we're just going to be eating, you know, force fed, disgusting stuff while we save the climate. And that would suck. Right? You know? yeah. Um, so the, the trajectory was, was really, we just tried all these sort of things and there were, there was us and there was uh, ocean approved, which became Atlantic sea farms. And were just trying to f- figure out that flavor profile. And, um, uh, what what we found was instead of just having kelp be the center of the plate you know sort of um, uh, 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 bringing the flavor down making it milder through blanch, blanching and just bring out all the great qualities of kelp so you know the that umami taste the good mouth feel and mm-hmm. what we found is like is not have it be kelp forward have it, have it be noodle forward so the fra di avlo where where we had the kelp noodles with tomato sauce onions just you know pretty simple garlic a little bit of anchovies um uh things like that and people just wouldn't even think of it as seaweed right they just think of it as delicious find out it was seaweed and then um already be bought in but the most interesting piece of it was like yeah we did you know high end events in New in New York, we were doing things with like you know Rene Renzepi was out on the farm and cooking with it, David Chang and all these folks, and but when we started serving it at like uh, to to just regular folks like plumbers and fishermen and stuff, they loved it too, and so that you know crossing the class boundary, (laughs) I think was really important. So but here's the thing, like I'm I really screwed up early on in that calling kelp the new kale. As you know, as I look back and the reason we called kelp, the new kale, when we came up with that, it was just, I had some Yale like uh, students out there that were working on the Yale farm and they all had those kale shirts on that were big for a while. Yeah. And as a joke, we crossed it out with a marker and wrote kelp, right? Mm-hmm. So kelp is the new kale. And that was supposed to be the trajectory to normalize it like, like kale. But kelp is not like kale. It's like, um, uh, uh, it, I think it's a more powerful crop um, in terms of economically and environmentally, but um, it's not like we're going to make it standalone center of the plate, right? We need to think of kelp as a as an ingredient of combining with other flavors. And that's why like you move from kelp as the new kale to kelp in the plant-based diet of a company like Akua that's doing mushroom and kelp-based burgers right? So let's like blend land and sea flavors. And I think that's where it begins to really, really change when we shift into, um, ingredients, there's some real challenges with that, but, and then move down the plant. So that whole light leaf strategy, so specialty, uh, products, plant-based products, and then we move into like biostimulants and things like that. And, you know, you don't do that with kale. That's not the trajectory of it. So, um, I like, you know, um, uh, I need to forgive myself of sending it on the wrong track.
0: <laughs> you, you know, at the end of the day, it's about shifting people's perception, isn't it? And yeah. you talk a lot about asking the ocean what we need to grow rather than asking the market what we need to sell. Yeah. Uh, you know, moving away from the tuna and the salmon and going more into uh, these sort of sea greens. Yeah. Um, since it's a matter of perception and emotions even, no? Huh? As as humans, we're very receptive to stories. And so it's just not going to be enough to tell people, well, you have to do this because it's good for you, because it's good for the planet. What is the story that is going to move people and allow us to say, okay, we're going to say goodbye to the old way and create a new one, and this is why?
1: Yeah. And I think it's a great question. Honestly, you know, I don't know... The answer, that's the journey sort of all of us in the climate sector is. i hmm. thinking like, do we scare people <laughs> or do we give solutions or do we like, how do we just talk about this new, what's our story for the new era? Right. And I think we're all searching for it. I do know that when people, we're at the, it's the end of the age of decadence. So it's no longer like the more kelp that's sold at the highest end restaurants in the urban centers means this is not going the right direction. Right to my mind, right? Like that era is over, and the end of decadence. And I don't think people want to be told what to eat anymore. Sort of shamed into eating this stuff. So we don't want to do that. What we found that tapping into sort of this sector as a way um, uh, to provide meaning, to have like soul filling jobs, has been a really important piece. I mean, you know, Green Wave started as a very small organization just training a handful of people and then our waiting list for a training program just in the U S grew to 8,000 people. Right. Wow. And the question is, you know, why? And and then a hundred countries on top of that. And again, we're a little small nonprofit. And, um, um, I think it's because this sector felt possible. Like you can be a regular person like me, start a farm, produce something concrete like that. You can hold you growing things is a beautiful activity to spend your life doing, mm-hmm. um, and be part of the, um, you know cl- climate movement, the solutions movement, so not the food movement, not the environmental movement, but that big tent of climate of jobs of justice of new blue economy of food like that whole of racial justice, this whole mix of things, and I think that's really moved a lot of um uh, a, a lot of hearts and minds over uh over the day I think. You know, there's a story that Rita Cobb tells in Newfoundland, and, you know, I'm from Newfoundland originally, and she talks about her father coming home one day. He's a fisherman his whole life. And he says, you know, oh, they just turned fish into money. And what he meant by that, you know, he's a small businessman. You're a fisherman. You, you want to make money. Like, you're not a like some liberal non profity person, right? But what mm-hmm. he's saying is, like, they, the big industrial fleets turned fish from food... And something that has social value into a pure raw commodity. Yeah, and so he actually burned his boat that day.
0: Wow, radical! <laughs>
1: like it's like a famous moment in his New history. And I don't think we want to turn kelp into just money, right? We want to retain the soul filling jobs, people having meaning, living, being on their boats, having self directed lives. Like not just automating the whole system. I think we've got to, you know, make sure that regular people can enter the industry have part in like go to work every single morning trying to figure out how to solve the climate crisis in their own way like inventing a you know going on your boat and try to figure out how to turn it into a kelp tractor like you want that blue collar innovation and like we have to reorganize this economy if what we do with seaweed is just recreate what we did in the 20th century that'll have been a a failure like there's no way we're going to get climate policy without addressing inequality Right, because so many people in society—if all we do is draw down carbon and we don't lift up communities—the politics is going to be like, just let it burn. Right? <laughs> I mean, like we don't yeah. want, right? Let the planet burn if you're just going to solve the solutions for the wealthy and rest everyone else is just, you know, in 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 true pain and suffering. So. Um, I think there's a mate with this incredible moment with seaweed, where we could reimagine, build something beautiful that we're proud of. That's a huge tent that changes the politics, right? You know, and like ch- changes the incentives and and why people are are um, uh, uh, sort of directing their lives in this sector, or we can just do vertically integrated, sort of you know, um, sort of boring business models, right? You know, and um, it, for me, for many of us that are, that's not an interesting set of problems, right? Interesting set of problems yeah. is how to solve economic um, insecurity and equality along with with um, uh, uh, the climate crisis. Again, draw down that carbon while you're lifting up communities.
0: Yeah, you, you said earlier about the importance of doing it your own way. How much do you think it's a matter of agency to draw in people?
1: Yeah, so I mean... There is just this question of, like, why have people come to seaweed? It's just, it's odd. Like, the number of women in the sector, in the ocean sector, is just mm. stunning, right? Um, all these people from different walks of life, like young land based farmers, fishermen, shell fishermen, you know, retired cops and lawyers, investment bakers. Like, it's just, it's a bloody mess of who's, <laughs> you know, who wants to do this. And that's a beautiful thing. And I do think it's like, because it's seen, As something that we can build from the bottom up, it opens up this feeling Mm -hmm. of agency. You don't got to go work in a cubicle at Facebook. You can actually be an actor in the world, tap in your agency. And I think if I look back over the last sort of, you know, one of the real challenges of the economy is we all feel like cogs and we don't feel like we can make a difference. We feel helpless in the climate crisis and you have to be a big CEO to do it right? That's it. You got to be a Bezos or something like that. Yeah. And um, we don't like we can be, you know, see, we're just a small piece of the puzzle of the crisis. It's not like the panacea to everything. God, it's great to go to work every day trying to uh, play a role in that.
0: Quick one, guys. I just wanted to let you know that I'm putting together a peer to peer mentoring group for ocean entrepreneurs, a sort of mastermind group if you will. Even if you're just getting started, wherever you are in the world, if you'd like to meet up remotely for a couple of hours every month and share ideas, challenges, learnings, opportunities with fellow entrepreneurs in the wider seaweed space, this could be the place for you. I will be your host and there will be special guests, but ultimately you, your business, ideas and challenges will be at the center of the discussion. The plan is to kick off in January, 2023. If this sounds good, head over to insideseaweed.com group, where you'll find all the details and a chance to put your name down to express your interest. You'll receive an invite from me later in the year. Now back to the interview. GreenWave, you founded it as a nonprofit aiming to train and support ocean farmers. What made you decide to set up GreenWave as a nonprofit? And I'm really keen to understand what made you adopt this sort of open source philosophy.
1: So um, I've been farming the same patch for 20 years out here in Long Island Sound, right? And I started as an oysterman, you know, I think you know from history, it was like I was a terrible oysterman, like I had no idea how to, I was the worst farmer on earth, right? You know, just killing things, running a death camp. But then over time, you know, years and years just stuck with it and so was able to and I you know doing oysters and then it was the diversification was kind of easy easy like bringing seaweed in for me was easy because I had a market because I was right next to New York City and I had entree into all the high-end restaurants and stuff like that so like my model was fine and like that you know like with doing very well and um uh I had a choice as the as sort of seaweed gained a popularity very very early on sort of got a lot of traction was to you know, sort of create a big business, and I, I just decided for myself there. There were sort of two things. One was just personal, like what what I wanted. On my deathbed, I would love for the thirty thousand people that were thrown out of work in Newfoundland, when the cod fishery died, to have jobs and jobs on their boats, jobs with meanings and with meaning, and you know that sort of jobs they can sing songs about. Like that'll be a beautiful moment. It's not that I'm a millionaire. It's great great for people to make a lot of money. It's just not an interesting problem for me personally to solve, right? So that was like, I said, no, I don't want to go that direction. But what we have to do is replicate. Like, we need a lot more farms. Like, this wasn't about me. This was about getting as much seaweed in the water. And So the idea of Green Wave was that there needed to be early on a non-competitive, like a pre-competitive actor. Yeah. Right, so 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 where there wasn't the financial incentives to build walls, right, to protect your you know protect IP and keep things secret, that the industry was going to fail if we all um, weren't sharing, and even if it didn't fail, it was going to replicate and grow very slowly. Going to spend twenty years in like everybody making the same mistakes, right? So the idea was okay, let's create a nonprofit that was like a a, a safe space where people could share. And so we can have a hive mind because especially on the farmer's side, I cannot stress enough how hard it is to grow food underwater. It's like the stupidest place to grow food, right? (laughs) I mean, you can't control your soil, right? It turns over a thousand times a day. You're at the whims of the ocean. Um, You can't see your crops. I mean, it's like Mars and under the ocean are like the craziest place (laughs) to grow. And but you we need to because, you know, our food systems are being pushed out to see and all the nutrients are in the ocean. There's a soil crisis on land, all those reasons. Like we have to. But the only way you're going to deal with that volatility and the difficulty growing the ocean is through um, uh, uh, like a network, like very strong networks of collaboration and sharing. You know, what I think of is that hive mind. And it's amazing. Green Wave at the recent sea agriculture Conference, um, you know, we brought farms from around the country to – that conference and did farmer only meetings and as well as farmer panels and stuff and um, uh, lifted up and allowed farmers to sort of speak for themselves and to meet together. And it's incredible what came out of that. We just created a space. There are farmers now traveling this fall from Maine down to Long Island to help folks set anchors. There are uh, another farmer uh, is tripling the size of their farm and working with another farm on co-packing. There are farmers from uh, uh, Alaska that are interested in going to visit farms in Europe, right? Like that's what you want, right? And that allow us to replicate really fast and replicate quickly. Really hoping that when we hit ten thousand farmers, the idea is to is is to move on to other stuff. Um, So that's like the theory behind it. The programming Green Wave. So what we've been able to do over time is narrow our focus because early on, when there weren't so many people involved. Like we had to have our fingers and everything, and it just meant that's a bunch of the stuff we weren't good at, right? You know what I mean? So we've really narrowed our focus, and we've got this um, a sort of strategy to scale because we really need to scale um, uh, the industry. And one is um, the hub, right? Uh, the regenerative ocean farming hub, which I really encourage people to go on and and um, log into and explore. And on there is that a curriculum with like 80 videos, how to's and like, we're going to be adding new species, things like that. That's that 8,000 people that have just want to explore and think about this. So um, uh, uh, there's that piece. And then there's a a community and the community has been fascinating where we, we have paid farmer mentors on there that answer questions. So these are folks that are experienced farmers. There are 351 topics that have been self, that have just populated by people. There are 130 active farmers, 180 farmers that have permits, 68 hatcheries on there. And all these people, they're like arguing about anchors, right? That's exactly what we want, <laughs> right? At the same time, there are um, 2,500 people that have sort of, um, are on the hop doing the curriculum in, in, in the community. We're getting a couple hundred signups ups. Uh, um, every month. And that's just in, uh,
0: that's impressive. Yeah,
1: That's amazing. So we built it. We didn't know if anybody would use it and they're really, really using it, which is, um, which is amazing. So that's the curriculum and community. And then we have the seaweed source and the seaweed source started as sort of a very simple buyer's network. We just took one farm and tried to sell all their crops. And then we're able to do that. Then we expanded it to, uh, t- uh, like five or six farms. And now we've moved the thing online, which is essentially a seaweed exchange almost, right? Where buyers come in, they, apl- they have to almost like apply to come in so that we know that they're actually buying seaweed. They're buying the sea type of seaweed that folks actually grow. Um, and that, um, they're willing to pay a decent price, right? So they've got to apply to them in that. And we got about, I think 15 or 16, Companies as buyers in the seaweed source right now. That's great. Like here on the east coast, that's that's excellent. And then um, just just about twenty farms, and that's throughout New England and New York. And now we've been asked by farmers to expand it to Alaska and elsewhere. So that's see that that sort of exchange has been really important. Mm-hmm. There's like map tools and there's like all sorts of stuff in there. So those are that's like the hub. And then the other piece is the Kelp Climate Fund. Okay. The like there's the whole blue carbon question. That's how we got to this this final place the kelp climate fund. The kelp climate fund in its core is really simple. Which is um, you get as a farmer. It's open open to any farmer in the U.S. right now. It's first come first serve. It's a three. It's a little over a three hundred thousand a year fund. Right where you get paid a dollar um, a foot to plant kelp. Mm-hmm. Straight subsidy, and you're you're getting that. Because you're providing uh, environmental and climate benefits. With that, and there are 30 farmers from around the country in that. It started as a beta, just a couple farm, 30 farmers, $300,000 uh, fund this year. And in return, there's something that um, is the MyKelp app. It used to to enter some data. They collect data once a month, so that uh, to track uh, yields. And quality and things like that and you know it's private data and and anonymous and stuff like that but it is an incredibly powerful data set of farms all across the country collecting data in exactly the same way they're all trained in exactly the same way given the same tools app goes goes in it's a mix of images and actual physical uh uh, measurements and that's just gonna it's a, a pretty amazing thing I, I
0: wanted to sort of riff on, on that for a bit because um, one of the themes uh, in your book that really caught my attention and that made me stop and think about it was this idea that with the use of kelp fertilizer, we can, I'm going to quote, uh, build a bridge between land and sea in order to close the loop between our food systems. What do you mean by that?
1: People have been using kelp as a fertilizer for hundreds, if not thousands of years, Right. All over the world all all different societies different different um, uh, it's established that like farmers on land know that there is stuff in kelp that is of value to soil and plants so nothing new here but I was at this conference at uh, regenerative agriculture at Al Gore's ranch right and it was the it's like 300 people and I didn't know any, anybody and I was you know like I, don't, I was hiding in the corner i was the only ocean person there and the whole thing and everybody starts one of the main takeaways was like everybody's raising their hand panels talking about the the soil crisis the nutrient crisis and they're like not enough nutrient, really but we don't want to use fertilizer and i was like well it's all in the ocean you know nitrogen carbon phosphorus and stuff is all all in the ocean i said We can use kelp to soak that up and sell it back to you. We're totally up for that. (laughs) It's just obvious that all this stuff runs into the ocean. Let's collect it and get it back to the soil like people have been doing hundreds of years. It's just time to do it because there is a a nutrient crisis on land. So this opens up markets and opportunities. Now, so that's one piece. The other thing is as folks dig into this, like I think the way we can have the fastest – Climate impact is to take what's in seaweed of different varieties and weave it into the agricultural sector, right? So reduce the impact of the imp- – give give land-based farmers some really powerful tools to reduce their impact because we can do it really fast. We don't have to invent new things. Um, mm. They know it already. Yeah, exactly. And like New Zealand is way ahead on this. And, and like Iceland and stuff, the wild harvesters have been doing this for a long, long time. But it's going deeper than that. So there is some really amazing evidence that uh, research that's come out that if you take kelp and turn it into a biostimulant, so not as a fertilizer, you extract certain pieces of it Mm -hmm. and you put it on plant roots, it it makes them more tolerant to to water and heat stress. Now, that proves to be true. The science says it, but if, if it's scalable... That is a stunning thing that we can use seaweeds in order to make, um, uh, uh, like, it, it like uh, make more resilient land-based farms. Like that's kind, of, that's that's revolutionary if if, if that can happen. The, now the unit economics of that are, a, I, that's a huge challenge. But we do know seaweeds have these incredible. Um, uses in land-based crops, you know, and as well as the methane in animals and stuff like that. But I'm fascinated by what specifically kelp does to the root systems of vegetables. I think there's a, I think that's the sort of next frontier.
0: Do you think there may be room for small entrepreneurs and producers of fertilizers or biostimulants to be a part of the puzzle? So going back to, you know, people coming in uh, as individuals, or do you think it's going to be dominated by... A few big fertilizer companies.
1: Yeah. And this is the big looming question. I mean, you know, all of society has got to figure out what they want their world to look like. Hmm. Like there is a chance in the climate change to reorder the chessboard. And so that's one thing. Like, And I I don't think we have our, as I know in the U.S., we do not have our act together enough or or the, the culture in order to do that. Like just hands down, not going to happen, right? But and that's that's heartbreaking. But what I think is, and this is way above my pay grade. Like I'm not smart enough to think about this stuff. But I, you know, I don't know what scale looks like in the in in the ocean. Like you know, on land, a 500 acre um, farm is a small family farm in Iowa, right? And 500 acres of seaweed is an incredible amount of seaweed. Right. So we don't know, first of all, what, what scale looks like. Everybody's like, oh, small scale, five, six, 20 acres. You know, when you get up to 300, you have to be a big company. I don't think, I just don't buy into it. Like, and also we have farmer, like not we, there are no such thing as a greenway farmer. Let me say that we relationships with farmers that are growing like, you know, uh, 300,000 pounds in five acres. Like that has to do with intensity, right? Uh, so anyway, there's this big question of scale. But the key question here to me is vertical integration. Are the same companies going to own – is it going to be a Monsanto, right? Like where – or a Cargill. Yes,
0: that's what I was going with it, yeah.
1: That owns the seed, owns the silo infrastructure on the farm and the market, but doesn't own the farm because that's the riskiest part of the economic model, right? You know, like that. that's actually what ag – looks like. And I do, I personally, like there will be companies that do that. And I think that might be fine. I don't know. Right. (laughs) But what we care about is that there's another track where it's, it's horizontally um, integrated, not vertically integrated so that there's real community benefits. The reason I say this, this sort of horizontal versus vertical is such a confusing space to me. is like, we got to get more kelp in the water, period. Like, like we got to feed more people. We need more uh, secondary products that account. We got to capture that carbon, stuff like that. And I don't know the model that's going to do that most effectively. I do really question the assumption that it has to be vertically integrated or that you can get the most volume for in vertical integration. So I don't know if I'm explaining this clearly enough, but like I have two farming sites because one sometimes doesn't do well. Sometimes the other one does. Like if I were a buyer, I would want to be buying from 50 different sites, from 50 different hatcheries because it distributes my risk in order to get consistent volume, right? That's – it's – again, go back. It is hard to grow food underwater, <laughs> like – and so I'm not sure scale gives the – like that vertical integration gives the, 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 the protection that's needed to a company to be profitable. That's mm. – in terms of resilience. Resilience, because it's it's going to be a hellish 50 years. Oh, yeah. Right? You're going to like, and I mean, the our climate resilience strategy is, is non-complexity. Like the reason we're not designing more and more complex farms is the way you're going to get through the next 50 years is just use ropes and buoys and anchors so that when it gets wiped out, you can rebuild in three weeks. Right? That's like, that's a business model. I think that actually is. So anyway, so like I really question people's assumptions about scale. But that said, right now, like, you know, the price of kelp um uh ranges from a dollar fifty a pound down to six cents a pound. Okay? Um and the farmers, what's interesting to look at the industry, there's all this energy on like policy Science and uh, entrepreneur, sort of uh, secondary process value development. There is very little energy on the or money in the farming side because investors are saying there's no money in farming. Well, there's no money in farming. There's no supply. <laughs> right, yeah. but I'm being told again and again, like, yeah, we don't want to do farming because there's no no money to be had in that. So for us at Greenway, what we're working on is okay. Let's 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 not think of the farm as just the farm growing the kelp itself, but let's the farm should own the nursery, which is like a shipping container that can produce twelve miles of seed in twenty feet a twenty foot container. You know? So you own that, you own the farm, and you own this. Uh, you own first stage. Processing, so stabilization. So you're creating like a almost like a kelp slurry or a stabilized product that you can sell over eight months to the to the um, uh, buyers that are doing the the plastics and the burgers and all and the fertilizers and stuff like that. In order to get the right price, farmers have to have that chunk. Now, no one knows how to stabilize kelp at an ext- at an affordable price that allows farmers to make enough money to keep farming that does not exist like no matter what anybody says because if they know how to do it some of the different companies but they don't know how to do it to make the unit economics right so that's not doing it that's bench scale. that's like a sign you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not whether you create bioplastic or you can create a pig feed or something like that. It's can you make the system, the economics work of the system. That's the question. And no one's done it.
0: I, I wanted to ask about tobacco bans in, in that sense. Yeah. If 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 you're happy to absolutely because you know, we, we hear a lot about this primary processing piece and, and how it's a huge challenge and that that we need to stabilize seaweed very quickly and needs to be in an energy efficient way because otherwise what's the point and like you said then the economics behind it don't don't work and and i heard you talk about tobacco bans and so i want to ask you first of all how have you come across tobacco bans and have they provided an answer to this issue at least in your experience
1: yeah um let me do, um, let me you know, like start by saying god i've made a lot of mistakes in my life right? like, like and we all. but the only thing i've done is freaking stuck with it right you know <laughs> like like yeah yeah I, but I, you know, I, I I think it's as we turn from a community of passion into a community of practice. It's time to really expose and really uh, talk openly about the mistakes we've made across like all of us. And I, I I think we need to reset the culture so it's not fake it till you make it, right? Sort of a Silicon Valley thing of like pitch, 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 and bring in new investment, or costs, and then like you know you hope it comes together, but you're hiding the ball, right? To like. Listen, this piece isn't working. Let's to create a cohort together to solve this stabilization issue, to solve the issue that the entire industry across the world is based on wild seed collection, right? Like there are some major questions that we need to um, talk about in front. So anyway, that's I say that because the tobacco barns was like so exciting and awesome. COVID hits. We can't process. Um, uh, Sam Garwin on our team starts trying to figure this out. Like what are we going to do? Turns out, Connecticut, of all places, there was a tobacco industry here. You find a tobacco family that's been around since the 1600s drying tobacco, right? Bring We bring the kelp there. They have all the barns, but they don't do tobacco anymore. Um, and they've been trying to do flowers and stuff like that. And we bring the kelp. And everybody's like, God, kelp really looks like tobacco leaves. And we hang it up, and the barns work perfectly, the right aeration, everything like that. We got ground to a halt because the state said they're, um, it's not, not food safe, Seriously. which is fascinating because the wild harvest industry all dries outside. So as farmers, we're not allowed – those of us to grow it, not allowed to um, uh, dry outside, which is um, – the sun is a very cheap way to dry kelp, but it shows how the how behind the curve a lot of the policy is to where it needs to be. So we stopped that completely. Uh, which is too bad because there's a lot of uh, tobacco barns. Now, I think like through that journey and through that not working has come out, I think some really great things. I mean, like there's for stabilization, that first stage processing, there is fermentation, right? Throw some stuff in, you can hold it, but it's like a blunt tool, right? You know what I mean? Like you get um, some basic, very useful stuff and you can hold it sort of kelp slurry.
0: Is that okay for fertilizers?
1: Uh, yeah, like feed especially and fertilizer, but not biostimulant. Okay. Not biostimulant. Okay. At, again, everything I say has to do with the unit economics. So people can do it, but they're like enzymes that they're putting in are so expensive that the system doesn't work. So they're, it's still bench scale. They're trying to drive down the cost of that. So there's fermentation. Then there's like uh, drawing and dehydration, the big machines are way too expensive. As we know, there are some examples of where it can be done with a really strong sources of alternative energy, like in Europe, but that's not replicable because the alternative energy sector is a mess, right? You know, there is no consistent uh, grid. So we need to figure out a way to dry to, um, and a much cheaper way. And the way to do that is there are microwave machines that dry, Right. That's like, that's looking like what it's going to be. And then there's serious green chemistry or not green chem, toxic chemistry too, where folks throw in stuff, blow those cells apart. And, um, uh, it's extremely expensive, uh, tons of R and D they will figure it out. But again, the unit economics aren't there yet. So those are, in my head, those are sort of the three categories of how we, uh, different versions of way to, way to sterilize uh, green wave is working right now. Uh, we just put the last year, we've been working intensely on combining with partners to create modular hatcheries that can produce for like $80,000. You can build out of the box a hatchery that looks exactly the same, that produces high quality seed and can be run by one person. That's what ours is now, right? So they're like, there's that. And the dependence on wild seed um, uh, through work, gametophyte work. There's that. And then this stabilization piece of finding the right partners to really solve that. And, and we're bringing together some different value added producers, you know, the folks that are doing the secondary processing who don't want to do stabilization to figure out how do we do dockside? So the kelp comes in, there's a, there's a, there's a unit there that gets it, creates a kelp slurry that then multiple different buyers can use in different industries.
0: Could a a modular sort of like shipping container type unit, could could that work in your mind? Something that is mobile, that is sort of shipping container or back of a truck kind of situation where you can transport it to whatever is needed? Yeah. Uh, Is that something that you see a a need for or that could be a solution?
1: We could do it now in... In the hatcheries, like out of the – not mobile, but like out of the box, drop a shipping container, fully functional. Like we can – we can that can be done. For the hatchery. Yeah, on the hatchery. The mm. processing is uh, – folks, um, uh, that is necessary. I think that's the only model that's going to work. I don't think folks really know how to do it. Uh, like, we need to come together to figure out how to do it at a, uh, in an economic, uh, economic way. You know, like folks can kind of do it, but they can't provide it in a consistent, stable setting that the buyers want. But I think it's the only way, dockside, because in a lot of places, either the farms are too far away from the processing facilities like physically or the working waterfront is pretty much non-existent. Right. It's all, it's been bought up by wealthy and tourists and stuff like that. So really, uh, that is, I think the, from, from my farmer perspective and like, yeah, honestly, like everything I'm saying, like ignore, like what, 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 <laughs> I, like I'm decent at growing some kelp. Right. But this is just sort of the way the, as we're trying to feel our way in the dark in these things that this quest, the two questions of ending wild, the collection of wild seed and dockside stabilization are the two things that have to be solved. But, um, like the dioxide stabilization, there's not massive money in that, right? For an investment, mm. right? So every all the investment money is going into that second state's you know, value-added bioplastic stuff, which like is really important. But like this low-margin, extremely boring step <laughs> of just creating a kelp slurry, there there just isn't the activity in it. This example in the industry of where like. I think we need to think about the capital stack like what kind of money and where it goes strategically all at the same time. Because like if the if the buyers can't get a kelp slurry to quality they want, and consistency, you know, they're not going to be able to, you know, show their investors any, you know, any any return at all if the if we don't scale up the farms and farmers aren't making a living, then there's going to be no kelp slurry and there's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like everybody's got to come together and think about these pieces, um, in, in combination.
0: Absolutely. I, I just want to quickly go back to the concept of credits. We talked about blue carbon. We're sort of hinting at blue nutrients potentially. Uh, so I wanted to, if you don't mind, maybe introduce the concept of, uh, pollution farming. Yeah. Which I think it would be really interesting in, in particular, you know, in terms of the business model
1: yeah so um let me come at it from the blue carbon journey we've been on so when i was at oysters it was all nitrogen collection and trying to people trying to create markets around that and then it moved in with seaweed it moved into blue carbon i mean if i had a nickel every time someone came to call me about blue carbon i'd be a millionaire we've come to the conclusion we went we partnered with people around accreditation a bunch of scientific projects stuff like that I, my frustration grew and i was like okay like First of all, the trouble with blue carbon is it's called blue carbon. Like kelp, its power is its bundle of climate benefits phosphorus, nitrogen, carbon, reef restoration, like, you know, a soil amendment. It's like jobs. Like, that is the power of it. So we call it blue carbon. It's too narrow a focus. And I'm not even sure kelp's most powerful remediation. Um, like it, it's, it, it's largest power is carbon. I think it's actually other things like you get kelp into soil and you reduce what it does is it stabilizes nitrous oxide, which is 300 times more potent than carbon as a greenhouse gas. Like, but that doesn't fit into like blue carbon. Right. Um, and th- so that was the first thing was like, like it's, it's, it, it, it's a bundle of benefits. The second thing I was like, listen, the markets are too slow. Like, Everybody's like markets are like, what's the goal here to, of blue carbon in this is to get more kelp in the water? Like the policy's too slow, the pricing's too low, the science is like the science is slow, policy slow and the market development is slow. And I don't know. I just like we don't have time. we've got nine years and the planet's gonna end and they're gonna be trying to figure out <laughs> like still talking about <laughs> talking about it. And so we switched and we're, we're like, okay no, nope, straight subsidy. like we know kelp does good shit. <laughs> like we're positive it does good stuff, like the science shows that. Yeah. We will learn more and more about what's the good stuff it does. Let's just straight out pay farmers for knowing it has an environmental benefit and have a subsidy. Then when the markets get to finally figure themselves out and it becomes a non-speculative industry, then we can um, – uh, then we'll, we'll we'll stop the subsidy, right? People forget that the goal of blue carbon is to get more kelp in the water, and it's just it's it's again it's too slow. All the money's going into a highly speculative activities that are are going to take ten years of R and D to figure out their blue carbon strategy, and I like. But instead, we got you know thirty farms planting more kelp and scaling in one year just by like dollar a foot. So. I mean, sometimes it helps being a simpleton, right? <laughs> okay. So, so you think
0: trying to replicate the blue carbon model where they blue nitrogen or, um, blue nutrient, certified type credits, uh, to take the nutrients from the ocean, get them into depleted soil on regenerative land-based farms, you don't see that as, um, happening fast enough.
1: Yes. like It has to happen. I believe in it. It's an important part of the strategy. Mm. It's just I've been in 20 years about people talking to me about nutrient credits, right?
0: And it just doesn't...
1: And I just haven't seen it happen. I'm just getting old, right? So like, <laughs> I mean like, like a couple months ago and I was like, wait a second, like 20 years people have been talking to me about trading on oysters and, kelp and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't see more kelp going in the water with this. And so... We just reorganized Green Wave and took a bunch of our funding and it goes straight to the farmers and it allows them to scale, right? Because they know that there's going to be – they're going to get paid the phone. Now, I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep this fund going, right? There's a global recession coming. We're going to try as long as – so all the farmers know like we raise for each year. This is the amount of the money that's in. We'll spend it all the way down and like – Every you know, so I you know we'll try our best to keep it going. But I do think it's the right um, for now. It's the right strategy, and I really hope that the science comes together and the policy and the the businesses that are being built around blue carbon. Um, I don't know, do their job well. Right? I hope. I hope they're competent.
0: There is that sense of urgency, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, that you know, it needs to happen now.
1: Exactly. I mean, I I think I think the business sector. Is honestly in climate denial. We think of it's only like a Trump thing, climate denial. It's not like if you're using 20th century business models where you're expecting a 15x return Mm. in six years, and all the benefits are going to a couple white guys at the top, (laughs) like like that's climate denial, right? It's just not going to work while saving the planet somehow, right? (laughs) Like like I I don't, I just don't trust it, right? And I, I think they need to invent climate resilient. And climate resilient uh, business models out of the you know business schools and and get over this sort of hangover of the of like a successful business has to look like this kind of return, this this kind of investment. I mean the capital stack is a mess. Like farmers don't need investment; they need loans, right? And they need loans that are forgivable loans or low interest or get paid back when the farmer starts making money or like like. But everybody wants to. It's a straight equity model. What happens if equity isn't the right way? What happens if it's subsidies, equity, loans, profit sharing? Like, Let's get creative with that capital stack, right? Instead of just sort of the same, the, the same things we did that killed the planet, right?
0: I feel like we, we share a frustration here in terms of uh, <laughs> uh, what well, you have previously sort of tracked back to uh, what can be described as the, the Wall Street framework of the unicorn. Could you explain that and what it means for you, and how you've come across it, when you've come across it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, I do think there's a there's a pitch culture that you know, like okay, five minute pitch, stand out, and that gets the money, right? And honestly, like I'm pretty good at that. Right? You know, like I can I can you know I can shrink things down, make a couple points. It's like, but um, what that means is like the boring stuff gets forgotten and the system doesn't work with like boring stuff like food logistics, like stabilization. Um, and this isn't me, like I'm not whining or complaining. Like there's so much money in the seaweed sector now. Like there, it's not even like, oh, I wish we were getting more. It's not like that. It's like, I just want the sector to constant like dig into the real problems that are being faced and have clear eyed in order to all get where we Need to go, but this pitch culture of Silicon Valley of fake it till you make it, like because you you do an investment round by telling like the strongest story that you're going to revolutionize the world, and then you burn through that money, and then you go through another investment round where you tell an even bigger story, right? Without talking about the struggles you're having and what happened when you burn through that first set of cash, right? So your story has to get more ambitious and bigger and show bigger growth and global. And things like that, and like, we gotta just like I, I don't think that's a healthy thing. like we need to go to investors and be like, "These pieces aren't working, and we learn, we're learning this, and if you want to solve climate change, like let's dig into these things that are capital intensive, low margin and boring.
0: <laughs> what do you see as those pieces? i mean we mentioned primary processing primary
1: processing i think um really um ending the dependence on wild seed i think um uh really making ramping up production on the farms so that farmers are profitable um i think it, so so you can see all those things it's an infrastructure need right so there's tons of work being done and like these, I love these folks. They're friends. They're doing amazing work on the secondary. Creating I would never drink it, but I just heard there was some kelp coffee that's coming out. Like it sounds like I don't <laughs> amazing, right? I was just showing <laughs> sure last night, came like uh no I someone just brought a box of their stuff where they had like olive oil and these little squeezy things that you could eat. They had like wrappers and there were all these things laid out on the table for me. I was like, this is amazing. But, and that has to happen, but they can't get supply at any scale at any unit economics that work, right? And so that's the, that's the boring stuff. But the trouble is there's not an incredible money to be made in those boring solving those boring problems. And I don't know how to deal with that, but I think the, the, uh, the investment community really needs to um, sort of come together. And that's why, to me, one of the stages I'd love to see GreenWave do is to bring ho- we bring together cohorts of farmers and cohorts of hatchery people, right? Let's bring together a cohort of secondary processors to create standards and the technology needed for the farmers to do that first stage processing. That's like the next stage of the industry. And I hope uh, whether it's GreenWave or not or somebody else, I think that's uh, that's going to be key.
0: How do you feel about this next stage of the industry?
1: You know, like we need all hands on deck. I, I'm just so excited where the industry is going and what's happening and all these brilliant people into the sector – and, and I think we, this is an opportunity to now take this to the next level.
0: We talk a lot about low barrier to entry, individuals being able to play a role. In, in your mind, other than becoming a seaweed farmer, what could an individual do to be part of this movement uh, with a small initial investment, say $20,000 and a, a sort of similarly entrepreneurial free agent type fashion?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, the hatcheries are an incredible uh, entry point for folks. So like getting together a couple folks, pulling a little money, building a hatchery, um, uh, that infrastructure on land. Cause you don't need ocean skills. I think is a like, we have folks coming out of community college and stuff doing, uh, you know, like working the hatchery. So, so I think that's a huge opportunity, taking out a loan and, and go ahead and setting it up. Um, and there's a lot of demand for seed right now and not enough seed in the market. So that's really good. Um, I, th- I, this, this energy in terms of value added products, I just really want to see that going. There's just so much creative and young folks just like spinning out all different things with kelp. Um, I think the policy realm, if you're like an undergraduate thinking about going to graduate school, like let's imagine what, a uh, the new Marine park of the future is where you have 2000 acres and you have farmers doing reforestation, farming, you've got, um, sustainable fisheries and ecotourism, like. That's the future, but we need people to, to take that on and build it, and figure out the policy and push the politics on that. I think folks that are coming out of the finance sector are really starting to get creative about like what those capital stacks are. Um, and you know, like if you're a regular person like me, I wish someone would build me a tractor of the sea. <laughs> okay, like, like I will get it like that. Right? There are so many pieces, like. You know, build something of like how to how to um, uh, wind string for hatcheries automatically. A, um, a figure out how to power the boats, the small boats. You know, with a mix of solar, wind, and electric. Right. You know, like there are all these things where we can um, uh, opportunities because I, I hire metal workers, electricians, permitting people. Like there's a whole like folks to paint boats like they're like all those marine industries with kelp farming they get revived and there's opportunity like good working class things. I you know I I will say I think it's crazy that we think about seaweed as this sort of organic thing that should just happen on its own, like in a mess. Like why in wind farms do we have an industrial policy where money comes in, revitalizes a waterfront, permitting happens at once, the capital is lined up that the workers or steel workers are getting trained you know like boats are being electric boats are being created like we need to think about seaweed and like a wind farm strategy not a like artisanal cute like random
0: cottage industry
1: i think that's what like the whole industry needs to uh come together and be like no 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 we're like wind farms we're not like you know little kale farms in the hudson valley
0: okay let's take that away and have a think about it For everybody listening, you can find links to everything we've discussed, websites, tools, books, in the show notes or on the episodes page on InsideSeaweed.com. So this is it for now. I've been really looking forward to this chat and I'm grateful to Bren and his team for making it happen. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, take care.